you know, when we're developing products, we do like to have that local context. And that's where we have those 3000 crop consultants. You know, that's our largest listening system that we have. And so if we do a really good job of listening, then we can take those insights and put those into an R&D program that really gets specific. And then we can leverage the other capabilities that we have in Nutrien. Welcome to the future faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions with our very own Tom Daniel, Director of Retail Sustainable Ag and Dr. Sally Fliss, Senior Manager Sustainability Field. This is your opportunity to learn about the next horizon in sustainable agriculture for growers, for partners, for the planet. To us, it's not about changing what's always worked. It's about continuing to do the little things that make a big impact. On this week's episode, Ryan Bond, Senior Director of Crop Protection and Nutrition Innovation at Nutrient Ag Solutions, joins us to discuss how innovative tactics and products are driving results for growers in the field and helping Nutrient Ag Solutions meet its sustainability benchmarks. But if you haven't yet, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast in your favorite app. Also, make sure you follow Nutrient Ag Solutions on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Dusty Weiss, and it's time once again to introduce Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss. And Tom and Sally, when you spend all your time working in the dirt, the news about what's happening at big global environmental summits might seem awfully far away. But it's important to remember that the big picture is always going to have an impact on us here at a local level as well. Yeah, Dusty, there's been a lot going on over the last month between the Sustainable Ag Summit that we touched on during previous episodes and what came out of that all the way up to United Nations 26 Conference on the Parties or COP26 on the Climate, where over 130 countries participated in meetings and a lot of big high-level decisions are made. And I would agree, it's really hard to think about how does that global scale challenge impact those decisions we're making in the field? So with over 130 countries participating in the meetings, there were a lot of big decisions made that'll impact us down to the field level. But it's hard to think about when we're out walking a field, taking soil samples, making a cropping recommendation, how are those things really going to impact us? Two that came up that I think are probably the most relevant to us are some new rules for trading carbon credits across borders. I know we talk about that with some of the projects we have. And this emphasis on nations setting more ambitions targets to reduce emissions. So Tom, these can take some time to trickle down to the farm level, but there's really a call for more transparency and verification for meeting and communicating on these commitments. How do you see our partners shifting what they're asking for in the next year based on some of the outcomes of a big meeting like COP26? Yeah, Sally. So, you know, one of the things that just kind of referencing back to what the COP26 is, and by the way, for those that don't know, COP stands for Conference of the Parties, and 26 is the year. So it's the 26th year of that conference. Most of it focused around the Paris Accords, which are around controlling uh, climate change as far as CO2 and the warming temperature of the earth. So trying to keep it between now and 2050 below a a degree and a half of temperature increase over the whole globe. And what I think is the main component right now is this is a global discussion. It's not just a U.S. discussion. When I talk to farmers, and I know when you do too, they say, well, why should I do this when they're not going to do this in this country or this part of the world? But this is an agreement now between, as you said, 130. 30 different countries that have agreed to these climate goals and pushing toward controlling this increased global warming situation. And one of the key components of that, you know, you can make a claim. It's 
easy for all of us to make a narrative claim around some of these goals. But the key is going to be data. And I keep using that word. It seems like, Sally, every podcast we have, we bring up something about data. But that is what's going to determine whether we are getting to the finish line, if we're progressing toward the goal. All of those things are going to be determined by data. And everyone says that agriculture is going to be a huge component of this climate change initiatives that we have in front of us, right? And so farm data is going to be one of the key components going forward. We're going to have to have good detailed data off the farm that's going to give us indications that we can move forward. And and I say that for this reason, too, because... You know, we talk about getting growers paid for practice changes and those type things, but there is also a big push right now for there to be some, um, I'll call them gatekeepers, police people, or whatever you want to call them around this environment stuff. And you hear the term a lot around greenwashing. We don't want people to greenwash things. And in your own words, Sally, what does that term mean to you, greenwashing? Yeah. So for me, Tom, greenwashing is all these unsupported claims, right? I mean, we've seen a few of them this year where everything from there's no data to back up the claims to in the carbon markets where groups have gotten called out for trying to generate or generating and trading carbon credits in forestry for forests that you know, we're never going to be cut down anyway. So there really isn't that opportunity value to preserve them and pay for keeping them in place because they're not in a location where they were going to be eliminated anyways. And you've got the story about the soil health farm in the Dakotas Mm -hmm. where they tried to implement a program. And I think, you know, it wasn't a bad program they were trying to implement up there. They just didn't think about that whole acre aspect of it, right? And all the different things that need to change. And did they really pick the right location? But they used that investment in soil health farm as the way to support regenerative ag. And this is how they're going to get more on the ground, but then they don't have anything to show for it. So there's people watching out there. And I know, Tom, you read an article recently talking a lot more about the pitfalls of making commitments or claims where there's no action associated with them. I think that's the other piece, right? Are claims being made that really can be executed. There's some pretty big claims out there about net zero or reducing emissions by 2030, which, you know, isn't that far off. Everybody thought 2020 was a long way off when they made those first round of commitments and we've passed them and most of them didn't get to where they hoped they would. So what were some of your reflections on reading that article about, and it was really an article informing consumers more about how to judge or interpret some of these claims or commitments that companies are currently making? So one of the big things, Sally, I picked up from the article, and look, it's not just the article. I think we heard some of this at our Sustainable Ag Summit that we went to a few weeks ago. So I think there's a lot of discussion around how do we get to these measurements? How many companies have come out? If you Google right now, companies that have made environmental claims, how many of them have made claims right now that they're going to get to a net zero by 2030 or reduce by X number of percent by 2050? All of these goals are out there. In fact, our own government has made a goal of what, a 51% reduction by 2030, I think. But regardless, we've had multiple different statements made. 
And nobody's got a way to measure a lot of this yet. You know, nobody has set up the standards. And it's not just around environmental change. When we think about sustainability, Sally, we think about, I always think about just the agronomy side of it. You know, how do we make changes and produce better food on the farm? But there's just as many things around the sustainability of social aspects of farming, right? We've got as many consumers right now concerned about labor practices and safe working conditions for workers that are part of agriculture today. And so all of those things are now becoming into play. And and you've got consumers that are actually asking for this information. They want to see where their food came from, who produced it, how it was produced, and that it was done in a social and environmentally positive way. And they want it measured. So to me, that's one of the key components of what we're looking at right now. And uh, I just think the perception by the consuming world right now, it look, we live in a world today, people have dollars to spend. And now they're starting to make choices on how they spend those dollars. So that to me is becoming a key component right now. And I think these two topics, Tom, bring us back to something that I know uh, some of the team sort of gets on me for is trying to bring us back to this is always a systems level discussion. While our last few podcasts have focused pretty specifically on nitrogen management and the rollout of this nitrogen management program that we're going to have for 2022, we do have to remember as we talk about sustainability, we're always referencing that social, economic, and environmental aspect. And I think one of the big things that we're seeing as some of the end of the year reports come out on weather patterns, some of the recent extreme weather events that we've seen that are really the top of our mind that even though we've got programs that focus on specific practices and outcomes, we've got to get back to that system level approach all the time. So as we think about that and the data needed in order to help make these really substantial claims, what are some of the tools available to farmers and crop consultants that help them address this constantly, as we've seen, changing landscape of sustainability that's out there at both a local and an international level? Well, look, we see a lot of discussion and look, the weather extremes, I don't think any of us can deny they're out there now. There's been a, a time that there was lots of discussion, at, especially at the uh, breakfast table. Well, you know, this is a made up type thing. But when you experience climate change, and that's what we've been doing, we've been experiencing climate change now for the last few years. One of them came real close to you recently, didn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, Dusty, we, uh, we were very fortunate where I live that we weren't engaged and some of the tornadoes and things that came through here. But there's a a lot of people going through a lot of suffering today. But you look in California at the uh, situation around the wildfires. You look at the drought that's occurred in the upper Midwest. You look at the flooding that's occurred in the Southeast. I mean, it's just one environmental catastrophe after another. And it's because you're starting to see situations of extremes. So just like the tornadoes that just came through, at my home on that Friday night at midnight, we were at 82 degrees. Now, that's in December in Kentucky at 82 degrees. That's a bad place to be. And 24 hours later, we were like 
36 degrees. And those type of extreme patterns just create lots of problems. So Sally, going back to what you said, how do we change some of those things? That's when we get into the discussions around making actual changes on the farm, for instance, or around some of the things we do uh, in production in general, that can reduce the CO2 emission piece. You know, tillage is one of those issues that over time we've released a lot of CO2 back into the atmosphere just because we've done a lot of intensive tillage. So reduced tillage of any type can help keep CO2 emissions from being released. Anything that we can do to create a green and growing crop on an acre that keeps sequestering CO2, those are all going to be positives at the farm side. And so we want to be concentrating on those things. Nitrogen management, all of those key components. And look, Sally, you said we've been talking about nitrogen a lot, but nitrogen management's a key component Mm -hmm. because uh, nitrous oxide is a huge component around carbon. So there are so many things that we can do on the farm that can impact and have positive environmental changes. And those are the things that, from a sustainability focus, that we just need to be concentrating on in the future. And Tom, it's worth noting, too, that the next big solution to climate change might be a technology that we haven't even discovered yet. And that's where the innovation piece of the puzzle comes into it. And so that's what we're going to tackle next in this podcast episode here, taking the heady concept of innovation and bringing it down to the farm level. What does it mean for my operation? What does it mean for my bottom line? And so coming up in a moment, we'll be talking to Ryan Bond, who's got his fingers on the pulse of how innovation is paying dividends for growers right now. That's in a moment. You're on the future faster. FarmSmart is the core of Nutrient Ag Solutions' sustainable agriculture offerings, leading the field with growers to record positive environmental impacts while identifying and embracing new revenue streams. In leveraging practices and products and recording your outcomes, your reward for making informed agronomic decisions will be waiting for you in our digital sustainability platform. The data you input can help set a baseline, identify opportunities for continued improvement, and help qualify you for market access opportunities. We're here to maximize incentives and help ensure the legacy of your operation. Getting started with FarmSmart is easy. Log in or create an account with Agrable. Then track your data and get paid. Getting started now means we can get to the future faster. FarmSmart, where sustainability meets opportunity. NutrientActSolutions.com slash FarmSmart. This is The Future Faster, a sustainable agriculture podcast by Nutrient Ag Solutions. I'm Dusty Weiss, along with Tom Daniel and Sally Fliss, and we're joined now by Ryan Bond, Senior Director of Crop Protection and Nutrition Innovation at Nutrient Ag Solutions. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. You know, Ryan, in agriculture, we throw the term innovation around a lot, but it's typically associated with product or technology manufacturers. So why is an agriculture retailer like Nutrient Ag Solutions investing in innovation? What's the value there? Yeah, great question. I mean, innovation to me is everywhere and technology and agriculture is rapidly evolving. I think we can all have a good appreciation for that. There's new players entering the market space every day, and we're moving up on multiple fronts and focused on aligning efforts to accelerate innovation at Nutrien. And I dare to say Nutrien Act Solution is more than just a retailer that distributes products from point A to point B. We're really an engine of innovation, helping partners bring growers better ways to farm. For example, over the past 10 years, we've invested probably close to a billion dollars 
with a B to expand our global R&D capabilities focused on seed breeding in crops like cotton and rice, canola, cereals. And those are branded usually as either Dynagro or Proven here in the States and other brands internationally as well. And then we're developing novel crop protection and plant nutrition products, ultimately marketed as Loveland products. So as I kind of look at things, you know, there's more than just the product innovation as well. And on the digital side of the house, we've made significant investments in our digital agronomy capabilities that help us harness agronomic data and insights. And I know you've had a lot of conversations on this podcast around those types of insights from data. And then we leverage the data, you know, coming from the Waypoint Analytical Soils Labs and other places to really eventually turn those insights into outcome-based recommendations grounded, what I call, in the sciences. And they're really made by our retail crop agronomists, those recommendations, and those are, are handed over to our grower customers. So as our contribution across the network of strategic partners grows, so does our impact. And each and every innovative product is a solution to a problem that we know our growers face. So with all this being said, you know, I'd, I'd say we're the engine powering the network of agronomy technology innovation, wherein the value of all these efforts sits with our grower customers and society at large. So. Yeah, so um, Ryan, you and I have had a lot of discussions around innovation and the projects that you're working on and just how they actually interact with what we term as sustainable agriculture, right? So can you give me some ideas? What is your team focused on right now when it comes to sustainable agriculture? Well, uh, simply put, the Nutrient Ag Solutions R&D group is focused on efficiency, productivity, sustainability, and profitability, and we're solving for them all. And I'd classify nearly 100% of our R&D resources are geared towards a more sustainable agricultural system. And to be more specific, my team is focused on developing products across five key areas. One being nutrient use efficiency. Two being soil carbon use efficiency, which is a new topic altogether. Three, crop protection and plant nutrition. The fourth one being water use efficiency. And, And the fifth one is really something that's emerging in the agricultural space as well for some time is clean technologies and renewables. So, for example, you know, my team would take more of a grower back approach, leveraging the 3,000 plus agronomists that we have calling on growers, where we take those insights and we focus on specific grower challenges, limiting crop productivity, yield or quality. And these agronomic challenges obviously vary by the region or the country. So we're focused on supporting, you know, growers across the seven countries that we operate in from North America, South America and Australia. And within that, all the challenges are slightly different, but they have some common themes. For example, in the nutrient and water use efficiency arena, we've developed technologies that have afforded growers to produce more with the same amount of fertilizer or irrigation on the same amount of land. Obviously, you know, producing more per land mass is a more sustainable approach. In other cases, such technologies have allowed for less fertilizer or water without any negative impact on yield or quality. So within each of those categories that I mentioned before, more specific challenges are represented and may require a single technology or combination of technologies that are synthetically derived or nature-based. You know, think about biologicals that really kind of solve for each. Ryan, in your response there, you touched a little bit on what we've talked about in our opening session of really this is always at a systems level, right? You know, sometimes we get swayed a little bit that there's a product or a practice that's the one answer that's going to make this all work. So when you're testing these things in the field, how do you account for all these different variables and differences in practices and way these products are used across the landscape as we roll this out to 3,000 crop advisors so that we get the best use of new products and strategies on the ground? 
So I'd like to think about, or we'd like to think about R and D as as well as our crop consultants do, as well as that ag is local and it truly is. Each situation that we find ourselves in is slightly different than the one before. But at large, you know, when we're developing products, we do like to have that local context. And that's where we have, you know, at Nutrient Ag Solutions, those 3,000 crop consultants, as you referenced there, you know, that's our largest listening system that we have. And so if we do a really good job of listening, then we can take those insights and put those into an R&D program that really gets specific. And then we can leverage the other capabilities that we have in Nutrient beyond just our field scientists. We can leverage, you know, the scientists that sit there in the digital agronomy team as well. We've actually worked towards putting together a really robust pilot program over the last two to three years that we call Trials to Solutions. And so within that, we're working across, you know, the Corn Belt this year, or we've worked across the southern region this fall, where we've taken more of a replicated R&D trial type of uh, systematic approach where we mix and match products and we go across the acre variably applying these different products, turning on and off different spray nozzles and things like that to where we can actually scale up a traditionally a small scale type of approach to R&D. We can scale that up to the field level and give really detailed on-farm type of knowledge base and data coming back to say which solution or which mix of products works best in this particular field versus another field. Tom, we've heard that as we talked, I think every grower this year of as we approach them with new solutions or opportunities in carbon markets, why something doesn't work for them and getting through that conversation. Right. And so knowing that these resources are available as we continue these sustainability conversations is really critical to getting to that 75 million acres that we talked about on the previous episode. That's exactly right. It really does. And Ryan, one of the key components, you and I have had multiple discussions about this, but one of the key components of sustainable ag is resource protection or regenerative ag, as you hear that term used a lot. But I know you are a huge component of soil health. That's one of the things that you've spent a lot of time in your career on. So give me some ideas. How do you focus in the innovation side today, how are you focusing on um, soil health uh, measurement or how we improve our soil health pieces? And, and what does soil health have to do with productivity and other key components of agriculture? Well, I am a soil scientist, so I'm glad you asked the question. <laughs> I can nerd out on this uh, probably all day, every day. Simply put, I mean, a healthy soil is required for biomass productivity in plants and microorganisms and plays an important role in the global carbon cycle. And I know you guys have had a lot of conversations about carbon here recently. Soil health also determines the capacity of the soil to function as a productive and stable ecosystem to sustain the uh, plants and other living organisms. So improving soil health results in enhanced water quality, enhanced resilience to environmental change, enhanced carbon sequestration, biodiversity. Uh, you can think about disease suppression of healthy soils and then greater productivity of food and feed and fiber and fuel. So, Ryan, in these pilots that you guys are doing and the research that's going on out on the ground, obviously, return on investment, increased efficiency, return to the grower, increased productivity are all really important factors. But are you guys also looking at how do these different practices that are more sustainable or influence soil health or use of some of these new innovative products that are coming out impact the quality that gets to the consumer? 
Yeah, I mean, we're looking at not just yield as the ultimate measure, but the quality of the harvest, right? And so um, there's a bit of, from a sustainability perspective on how we derive the products in which we administer to the crop or to the soil. We're looking at soil health, but we're also looking at plant health. And I think they're kind of not mutually exclusive. One plays on the on the other. And so as we look to design products that are more sustainable in nature, if you will, there's a, probably a variety of different levers we need to kind of look at and monitor on that product development piece. But the biggest piece, you know, is really focusing on not only the yield, but also the quality. And so if you're looking at sugar and color of apples or, or what have you, or you're looking at trying to lessen the amount of microtoxin in grain or maybe increase the protein level of grain or what have you, those are the types of innovative technologies that we obviously looking to promote and distribute and develop. And so we don't have to necessarily have all that internally built. I mean, our, our ecosystem is quite large and wide when we start talking about bringing new innovative solutions to our grower customers. And so I think that's, you know, leveraging technology from the outside as much as the inside. So, Ryan, I'll ask you this question. And when we talk about sustainability, we see a shift today even around in our crop protection products where we're moving somewhat uh, away from some of the synthetic type produced products and more to uh, what we term today as a biopesticide. Where do you see that work within the innovation team today? How is that being addressed? Yeah, I mentioned uh, earlier that one of our pillars that we're focused on is crop protection and nutrition. And so, um, you know, as we say, our basic beliefs and the headwinds and tailwinds that are facing synthetically produced crop protection products or fertilizers for that matter is leaning towards softer, greener alternatives renewables, things like that. And so we're keenly focused on taking a look at those different technologies, sourcing those internally or externally and bringing those forward. It does uh, allow for us to tap into obviously a lot of different expertise. Uh, We have strategic partnerships at various universities, various uh, strategic suppliers and what have you to bring the best technology forward. But it is trying to do more with less and more with the greener technologies, like I said. And so it's a movement that started, you know, not just yesterday, but uh, it's been years in the making. And so we're now seeing that we feel like we're somewhat at a tipping point to where a lot of these technologies, like in the biofungicide that we're developing now for uh, targeting citrus greening, for example, those types of technologies really didn't exist years ago. But now we're starting to see that some of these technologies that leveraging some of the biomedical type of approaches are coming forward to have some application utility in agriculture at a cost that's not uh, like the pharmaceutical companies. That is something that we can get to scale in agriculture and apply in a way that's still affordable and has the return that we're looking for. And so we'll see a lot more uh, movement in that space. And we have been and we've been strategically focused on trying to build out our capabilities to focus more on that over the last 10 years as part of those dollars that I mentioned before that we've been spending. So I think there's still a lot of room to grow, but we're starting to see, like I said, the efficacy and the efficiency of these types of products be at parity in some cases with the synthetics. So it's it's an exciting time to be in agriculture and see those types of technologies come to life. Yeah, all great stuff. And, you know, we keep going back to this systems level of thinking on things. And one of the things that we all know, and I'm sure hear about daily, that's impacting these system level decisions right now are the high fertilizer prices and challenges with distribution. So one of the programs we're introducing this year, as you might have heard, Ryan, is our nitrogen management program, where we're hoping to generate emission reduction credits for growers as they face these challenges of price and supply on 
on the farm. And we're going to pair that with some of the Loveland products that are out there that you've done work on and have touched on a little bit today. Can you tell us a little bit about what Loveland products is and some of the technologies you see on the horizon and maybe some of the top products for looking at managing your fertilizer inputs a little more efficiently in a year where we're faced with both supply and price challenges? Yeah, well, Loveland Products is a 50-year-old company within the Nutrient family. It's an exclusive supplier, a manufacturer of a variety of different products from crop protection to plant nutrition type of products. And they have very unique technologies there to go in and talk about when we talk about nitrogen, really, or nutrient management that go in and drive you know more efficient use of those commodity inputs. And so those products have been part of our portfolio for quite some time and we continue to refine and build out those different technologies and different types of products. And one particular brand family would be like our nitrine type of products where we're talking about stabilizing the nitrogen you apply to decrease the amount of loss of nitrogen. You know, soils are a very leaky system and, and managing nitrogen is part of the challenge there within that. And so we have products that help stabilize the nitrogen. We also have within the nutrient family ESN, environmentally smart nitrogen, which is a polymer coated nitrogen. And so we, you know, as we look across all the different ways to manage nitrogen, for example, there's probably six or seven different types of technologies that we leverage. And if you put those into that systematic approach, we can mix and match again to better manage that. So a follow-up question on that, Ryan, you know, you mentioned products that are actually nitrogen stabilizers or in the category of stabilizers, but actually we can increase nitrogen use efficiency by just driving productivity on the acre too. So I know you guys are driving for increased productivity every day. So any ideas or thoughts around the innovation piece for productivity? Well, as far as nitrogen is concerned, you know, I kind of think about two distinct nitrogen cycles. And, you know, I live in the world of physical product development, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to manage nitrogen, uh, as you mentioned, Tom, on crop rotation, tillage, and things like that. But from a product's perspective and in technology that go inside of those commodities to make them more efficient, I really think about two distinct nitrogen cycles, one that resides in the soil and the other one that resides in the plant or the crop. And let me explain a little bit more about what I'm thinking there. So now managing the one that's in the soil is probably just as complex as an internal nitrogen cycle from a plant physiological perspective. And so, however, a lot of what growers practice to best optimize infertility is encompassed in the four-hour approach of to nutrient stewardship. So that is the right source, the right rate, and the right time and the right place to apply fertilizer. That internal nitrogen cycle has everything to do with the consumption and assimilation of nitrogen that's available. Just so happens that in some cases, there's more nitrogen available to the crop and then it can consume at any one point in time based on either the application methodology, the soil nitrogen cycle, weather, and, and what have you. So we're trying to better understand and optimize that internal system to nitrogen cycle inside the crop as much as we are to the external cycle that's in the soil. So having said all that, I see a lot of technologies that can be and have been developed and adopted to increase nitrogen use efficiency, some which are more impactful than others. But when all combined, one can see a really a, a step change in the, in the nitrogen use efficiency on the farm. Follow up on that, Ryan. You know, I'm sitting here thinking about, we talk about nitrogen, we touch on phosphorus a little bit, but what are some of the other things, whether it's in that plant nitrogen cycle or that soil nitrogen cycle that are going to impact our efficiency, right? So we think about the four R's. When I was at TFI, we used to talk about how the four R's apply to any nutrient you're applying, having the right source rate timing and placement of any nutrient. So what are some other things as you travel 
around the world that you see impacting nutrient use efficiency that aren't these primary NPNK things that tend to be top of mind all the time? You know, farmers are trying to manage crops across a variety of different regions and soil types and, and, and weather patterns and things like that, right? So as you kind of look across, or in my travels, I look across all these different types of regions where, where farmers are trying to grow a productive and high quality crop. You know, there's a lot of pressures like we talked about on the, on the nutrient side of things, but there's also a lot of pressures when it comes to abiotic stresses. And so those are kind of the hidden things that are there at times that are yield limiting or yield robbing that may be limiting some element to, um, you know, more productive growth cycle for the crop. And so I, I think, you know, as we look across all these different complex, you know, growing conditions. We're looking for technologies to kind of lessen the impact of some of these hidden stressors. You know, Ryan, I've come to learn over the years that you could set the table with some of the best tools ever made by man. And still at the end of the day, whether it's from inertia or whether it's from fear of the unknown or for a variety of other reasons, hey, things are working. Why monkey with something that's not broken? Folks won't adopt them. So how do you get this innovation to take root in the practices that are being employed down on the farm? Great question. Simply put, I think, you know, innovation is uh, useless without adoption. And so uh, with that, you know, Nutrient Ag Solutions, we're going to leverage our 3,000 retail agronomists that work closely with growers across the seven countries that we service. And so I like to think that we can continue on with what we call our Trials to Solutions program. And that's where we're taking a small R&D approach, but scaling that up to the commercial size and, and applying those types of replicated trials at scale on growers' farms. We're also, you know, leveraging our innovation farm network. Those are the farms that Nutrient Ag Solutions actually owns and operates. And with that, we, you know, we're taking technologies across our supplier network, whether, like I said, they either be internally or externally originated, and we're bringing those onto our own farms. And so we get to do contra-season trials where we're looking at bringing technologies forward and piecing those technologies together into an integrated solution that really helps build the confidence of our retail agronomists, but transfer that confidence onto uh, a grower's farm. And so that's where we're headed. Well, and it's just really cool stuff at the end of the day. And so it's great to hear that it is getting put into practice out there and that you're finding new ways to put it in front of the grower because, and I'm going to do my best Tom Daniel impression here, as Tom likes to say, you have to meet the grower where he is. And so that's what you guys are doing. And we're really excited to hear how you're doing it here. But Ryan Bond, Senior Director of Crop Protection and Nutrition Innovation at Nutrient Ag Solutions. Thanks for joining us on The Future Faster. Thanks for having me. That is going to conclude this edition of The Future Faster, the pursuit of sustainable success with Nutrient Ag Solutions. New episodes arrive every other week, so make sure you subscribe in your favorite app and join us again soon. Visit futurefaster.com to learn more. The Future Faster podcast is brought to you by Nutrient Ag Solutions with executive producer Connor Irwin and editing by Larry Kilgore III. And it's produced by Podcamp Media, branded podcast production for businesses, podcampmedia.com. For Nutrient Egg Solutions, thanks for listening. I'm Dusty Weiss.